you, but there was a time in my life where uh, my father's word had power. Do you remember that time when you were a kid, when you were young, and, and maybe some of us didn't have a father, I'm sorry, or maybe our father wasn't around, and I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you had a mother whose word had power. My mother and my father, both their words had power. And they backed up their words with power oftentimes in my life. But I can remember one time in particular, and, and I grew up in a family that didn't know the Lord and, and grew up with older siblings. And so we were always scaring each other. And they were always trying to scare me because I scared them. And so my sisters would tell me all these stories. You know the stories around the campfire when all of a sudden the person with the hook shows up. The couple's in the car and the hook shows up and it drags on the trop and then, you know, and then all of a sudden they get murdered and nobody ever seen them. They don't know what happened to the bodies and you're, you're never talk about them again. They're never seen again. It's those kinds of stories that were constantly floating in my family. And because I lived in a home that had a backyard with no fence and then a big field. And it was in the 60s. And we all know a lot of nonsense was happening in the 60s, right? And it's in California to boot. So there was just tons of nonsense. There were always somebody who thought it'd be cool if they saw somebody in the bedroom, and my bedroom was the back one toward the field, if they saw somebody there, they would just go and go, and throw their claw up on the window and drag it down. It freaks you out. So there was stuff like that, right? And I'm a little kid. And I can remember being in our house, we didn't have night lights then. I, I don't know, I guess they weren't invented yet, but we just didn't have nightlights, and it was pitch black, pitch dark in our house. And so I can remember times when I would be laying in bed, you know, you get woken up. Okay, what was that? Dude, that was the guy with the hook on his arm. You're thinking, and you're just spitting, scared, and you're in bed. And I was wise enough, I'm not putting the covers over my head, I can't see the guy trying to stab me that way. I have no chance. And so I'm sitting there as a little kid, and what do you do? You're gonna call out for dad. Because we left our doors open, and their bedroom was just right there off the hallway. And so I'm sitting there, I'm scared to death, and remember, I don't know if you all ever did that, and you go, you can't quite get the words out. And you whisper, Dad. And then you're thinking, okay, I can get louder because the guy hasn't got me yet. And then you go, Dad. No answer. Dad. And then you would hear it. Yeah, Kelly. What do you need? What's going on? Dad, can you come in here? I think there's somebody outside in the backyard. I think there's somebody in my room. I think they got a knife, a gun, dad, you know, whatever. And dad goes, all right, I'll come. And dad comes in, it's still pitch black, but you hear dad. And you go, dad, would you check? Dad flick on the lights and he'd check around, there'd be nothing. He'd look in the backyard, there'd be nothing. And you'd feel better. You'd be relieved. There was a time when my father's voice, when he spoke, his, his words had power. Just to hear his voice had power. It would take me from being terrified as a child to having total courage. I mean, I used to be amazed that my father would walk out in our backyard in the middle of the night with no lights, because people didn't have lights on in that day. 
and age and go behind our sheds, behind the trees in the back and throw stuff away or put them in the burn barrel. We had burn barrels in those days. And he'd do it alone. And I'd think, oh, I'd never do that alone. But he'd do it alone all the time like it was no big deal. And then I grew up, right? And I understood. But his words always had power. You know what? God's word has power. Our Heavenly Father's word has power. Amen? Amen. This Bible that we have has the power of life and death in it. Amen? This is life. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. With man, some things are impossible. Because we know that the power of man only goes so far, right? Man can only do so much. Even my father in that day and age could only do so much. But I believe that him and I together could do whatever we had to do to take care of business and to deal with whatever issues we had in life at that time. Yeah, that did change as we grew and grew up and grew apart um, until I came back to Christ or came to Christ, right? But with man, some things are impossible. With man, many plans will go awry. We can't always follow through on those plans. But I want you to know something today, and I want to ask you today, whose word and whose plan do you really trust in? Whose word and whose plan do you really trust in to meet your day-to-day challenges, your day-to-day blessings, your day-to-day enemies that you face? Whose word do you trust in? Whose word has power? Whose plan will not fail? See, the Bible says to us today that everything that God plans, everything he wills, everything he says, his word has power and it will be accomplished. He has the full, you can expect and you can know, he has the full character, the reliability, and the ability, the powerful ability to do whatever he says he's going to do. We sometimes take him and put words in his mouth. We sometimes don't trust him and stay out of his will. And so we fight what he's trying to do, but he has the power to do it. He has the resources to do it. And so whose word are we trusting in? Whose word are we making our plans upon? Because his word is the only word that can execute with certainty his plan and his will. So this morning, as we look into the Bible again, and we look into the book of Acts that we've been studying, we're kind of coming to the end of an era here. The book of Acts in the first so many 12 chapters has really been about Peter and the apostles, and about Jerusalem mostly. And now we've been moving away, and we're transitioning now to Paul and his partners in ministry to the Gentiles. It's a big change. And whenever there's a change in transition in leadership, there's always this question that comes, and there's really a common feeling that comes, you know, will this new leadership, will this new ministry emphasis that we're going on now, will it be as successful and remain as powerful as the ones, as the leaders that were before it, as the the ministry approach was before it? Will it be as powerful, will it be as successful as the good old days? 
We sometimes idolize those good old days, don't we? And we wonder that. We wonder that. But whose word is the church built upon? Whose word are the is the ministry of the church built upon? Whose word places people in leadership? Whose word? And the same is then true for us. As we move into a new year, we're in it now. We've, we've already in January and February, now we're into March. But will your walk with Christ remain as powerful and successful, growing this year as it was last year? Will it go forward? It depends, doesn't it? Whose word are we going to trust in? Whose plan are we going to live in? That determines the power that we walk in as we head into this new year. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12. And we want to continue to read, and we're going to start in verse 18, and um, we're going to read through 24, through the end of that chapter, and then we're going to read the next section after that, as we consider the power, the word of power, the word of power that we need to believe and trust in today, the word of power that changes everything when you hear it. I want you to read with me God's word, starting in Acts chapter 12, verse 18. Remember, this is in the morning. We're kind of tying into our last passage. After Peter miraculously is taken out of prison and is delivered by the angel, right? Well, let me tell you something. King Herod is not happy about that. And so we're picking it up in verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. He's not in the prison anymore. Remember that, that Herod had put three groups of four soldiers to guard him that rotated every three to four hours. So because the weakest link in any prison, imprisonment or any security issue are people, right? And so we wanted to make sure that Peter could not deceive or convince these people to let him go. And so he kept switching on them. So Peter couldn't get close to these guards that were around him. And it says this in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Peter had a thorough search, or after Herod had a thorough search made for, for him, for Peter, and he did not find him, he went back and cross-examined the guards, and he ordered that they be executed. That was his word. There's no other explanation. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to believe any other explanation. I'm king. There is no other king. I am the one in power and the one in charge. And so he said, you're going to die because you're liars and you, you were complicit with, with Peter to get him out. And so he ordered that they be executed. Let's hope that that order didn't get carried out and they drug their feet a little bit because here's what happened next. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. And he was having a quarrel with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, I love that name, a trusted personal servant of the king, King Herod, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food. So they're just trying to negotiate a better deal here, right? It says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, and apparently these robes were kind of made out of things of silver, and he came in, so when he walked into 
his throne to give it, and the sun hit it, it shimmered and glowed. It was like he was a god, right? And he looked pretty cool. And so this is what it says as, as we go on in Scripture. It says, on that appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. We don't know if they were really praising him as a god or just flattering him because they wanted to get money out of him because he was, that, he was their meal ticket. But whatever the case may be, they said it. And the Bible says in verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and dust. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. <laughs> wow. Wow. Such a turn of events. Such a turn of events. What made Herod unsuccessful? And what made these simple old disciples super successful in the face of this great power? What happened here? I'll tell you what happened here. There's a difference between words. Who's speaking the word? There's something we got to see here and something we need to really practice in our own life. We always say something, you know, we, we like to play a lot of games and we play different card games from Rook to, to Spades and Rummy and it goes on and on, right? And now we're into Rubik's Cube. I don't know if you've ever played that, how many people have played that, yeah. Love it. I just don't like playing with Grant. He's too young. These young math minds with older minds, you know, they can do a lot with that. But anyhow, these games are fun. And you know what we used to always say, and we grew up hearing, and you've heard it too, we've got to play the cards that are dealt us, right? That's an old saying. You've got to play the cards that, that are dealt you. And that's usually a statement that's kind of a fallback statement that you use when you're not as successful as you really want to be. Shoot, I got all twos, or I got, you know, I got really low cards. I didn't get any good cards. And so I got to play the, the hand that's dealt me. But it doesn't have to be a fallback negative statement. See, most of us are probably familiar also with trump cards when you play these games. Any card within a deck or that you get, which you, a card, card that falls within a certain suit, and you determine that suit, like if you play spades, spades could be the, the trump, but you can determine different trumps, these cards, the different suits, they become trump cards. And that means that if they are dealt to you within this card game, and you play those cards, you win that hand. Because you have a trump card, even though they may have had another higher card, but they didn't, uh, of the same suits that you were playing, if you had a trump card, you would win the trick and you take all the cards on the table. Trump cards have power. So if you're dealt cards, you might have a lot of different lower cards, but if they're the trump color, they have great power in the game you're playing. See, you can also use this saying metaphorically outside of card games. It can really stand for, if you have trump cards, for the resources that you have, that you obtain, that give you a clear advantage in life. Some of us have other things that are considered trump cards. 
We may not have all the, all the skills necessary in life, but we have certain things that we are very gifted in and talented in, and they become our trump cards. For example, Jody's homemade desserts are a trump card for us. <laughs> right? If I want people to come to a meeting, or I want my kids to go, I just say, well, mom's going to make this. Oh, okay. We'll show up. It's a trump card around our house. Jody knows it's a trump card with me. I, we call it Kung Fu Panda Motivation. And it totally works with me. We experimented with it this last week, and it did. I would exercise every time, as long as there were certain things I want to get. I really would. I would. But, but the greatest trump cards, or card that we hold in life, I want you to know, and I hope you know, are the words and promises of God. They are the greatest trump cards we hold. The words that he's given us in the Bible, this word has life, and the words his Holy Spirit speaks to our heart when we're praying that are in line with this word. Those are trump cards. They really are blessings to you and me. They're greater trumps than what other words are out there. <coughs> They're greater trumps. You see that, right? Over and over again. I hope you see that. We've seen that in the life of our church. I hope you've seen it in your life and walk of faith with God. Over and over again, people would say, no, this can't be done, or this person won't be saved, or da-da-da-da-da. And what happens? You go to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord says, this is what I'm saying to you. This is the promise I'm giving to you. And what happens? That happens. And all those other words that were supposed to be words of power, whether they be from family or friends or even other leaders, become null and void. Because the greater Trump spoke. He laid down his card. You received it. And it was more powerful. Wow. God can do everything he plans to do. God can do everything he wills to do. God can do everything he promises you he wants to do in your life. Will you trust him? Now I want to say something here in our passage. You would have thought that, that the Herod family line at this time would have paid more attention to God's word and God's plans to them over their family history. You would have thought by now. Because let me walk you through their family history just a little bit. First you had the, great, the grandfather, Herod the Great. He dismissed the word of God through the great star that announced the birth of the Messiah. He dismissed what the Magi said, even though they said we've come traveling to find this king. They, he totally dismissed that message. Instead, he plotted to snuff out the word of God by doing what? By one, one he was trying to get the Magi to be his little informants and go find out exactly where this king was born because he wanted to go worship him, but no, he wasn't going to worship him. He was going to kill him because he didn't want any other rivals. But what else did he do? He killed every male child in that region. Once he found out he was deceived and they didn't come back to tell him where the child was born, he killed everyone in that region from two years old and younger. Every male child. Slaughtered by his word. That's a pretty powerful word. Don't you think? 
That's a pretty powerful action. But God again sent his word. His greater trump to Joseph in a dream. The child escaped to Egypt and grew and, and eventually fulfilled God's mission. King Herod did not live. King Herod died. He wasn't great forever, but the child lived. By the time the child grew and became a man and started his ministry, now there's Herod Antipas. He's the son. He also has the opportunity to receive God's word in Christ. But instead, what does he do if you read the Gospels? He mocks Jesus and he plots with Pontius Pilate to sacrifice the life of Jesus for their own political gain. Didn't pay attention to what his, his father did. Didn't pay attention to what his family line did. They're going to follow their own word. So they crucified him, the Lord of all. They killed him. They buried him. But guess what? The word could not be killed, could it? It could not be buried. It could not be snuffed out. No, it was going to break out because it was the greater trump. It came back to life and endured because that's exactly what Jesus said I will do. I will die, I'll be in the ground three days, but on the third day I'll rise again. You can take that to the bank. It's the word power. I am the I am. Amen. Amen. Family didn't get it. Nope. And now Herod Agrippa, the grandson. He's, he's grandson to Herod the Great. He's a Jew. He's an upholder of the law. He should have known by now whose word was greater Trump. But you know, golly, we just don't learn things, do we? I'm the same way. You're the same way. Thank God that the Lord is gracious to us. And thank God he keeps speaking to us. And thank God he's in our life because we need him. But they didn't figure that out. He didn't figure it out. Agrippa was no different. He tried to stamp out the Messiah's word. He tried arresting the apostles, and he did James, and he, and he put him to death. And then he tried to arrest the head of the church, Peter. But he wasn't able to, to. He wasn't able to keep him. Why? Because of the greater Trump. God's word and God's will. Even though Peter's escape was miraculous, that miracle verified by his own ruthless guards that they knew they were going to pay with their life, but they said no. He, he got out in a miraculous way. We had nothing to do about that. Antipas, Herod Antipas would not receive God's word. He would not receive God's will over his own. And he ordered his trusted guards to be executed as liars and traitors. <coughs> These are trusted men. But he's going to try through his word to stamp out this word. Because I will not receive this word or this will. Herod Agrippa, he trusted his own word and power over all to such a degree that he allowed the crowds to shout and to describe him as a voice of a God, not a man. He was so deluded. He was so bent on being his own God. That was the last straw. Herod's card was played. It was a high card. But it was time for God to hold him accountable for his arrogance and his treachery. And God put down the greater trump. And he was put to death. Wow. 
I'm telling you something. Our passage tells us in verses 23 through 24 immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. But look at the end of it. But, whose word? The word of God continued to spread and flourish. Church, we don't have to worry about what other people say. <coughs> we got to worry about what God says. Amen? We, we don't have to worry about what other naysayers tell us. We just have to worry about what does the scripture tell us? What does God tell us? <coughs> and we've got to listen to that sometimes through trusted friends and associates because these folks had it too. On the accountab accountability side of things, I want to ask you and me, what patterns in your life or your family can you see where you are rejecting the word of God and the greater trump? Where you're trying to continue to live out your life the world's way. Look at those patterns. Ask yourself if they're there. I know for my family, I was the first one to come to Christ in my family line and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then others did too. But I was it. It needed to stop. And some of the cycles of words that we believed in, superstition, luck, uh, powers that rivaled God, um, being our own God and being extremely arrogant, solving everything with violence or with, you know, plans to take people down. All that had to change, and that was, that was being perpetuated in my family line, those things. But it all had to change. What about your family life? Do you see? What about even in the history of the church or our church? Do we see where we've trusted in our own word, man's word, rather than God's word and will, and therefore our plans went awry? Therefore, we did not have the success that we hoped we would have. But on the blessing side of it, I want you to come back to, because this is the good side, and it's always there waiting for us. What trump cards has God given you? And if you don't know, go to the Lord and ask him, what is your word to me, Lord? What is your word to me in this given situation I'm facing? Where I need healing in my life, or I need change in my life, or I need help in my life, or I need to know about my future. Give me your word, Lord. Give it to me as I read your word. Give it to me as I pray. What is your greater trump to me, God? What is your greater trump to my family? What is your greater trump to my church? You've heard me preach for years, and I've shared these words that God has given and that no man could stand in the way of. Even though people stood there and said, I ain't going to never happen. Ron likes to remind me of that. And I thank him because he's old enough to know. He's been around, right? And so he knows what some of the words that have been spoken, uh, that have been naysayed words, they weren't will of God, they were just words spoken in brokenness. Uh, yeah, it happens. But God spoke his word and he did it instead, didn't he? Amen. And here we are today. What about in our families? What about in our relationships? What about in our lives? 
If God has given you a trump card and he's spoken a promise to you, hold on to it. Hold on to it because it's a winner. And play it and win. Play it and win. Because that's what these folks were doing. They were playing the words of God and they were winning. Let's keep reading. Follow with me again as we continue in our, pla- in our passage because God continues to show his plan and his power through his word to his people. And it was the word that was coming through the Holy Spirit. So let's pick it up again in, in verse chapter 25, or verse 25 of chapter 12, and then we'll go on through 13. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem. And they were on this little mission to take money to help the Jerusalem uh, believers because there was going to be a drought. So they were taking money to help them out because they needed help. And they were taking it to them from the church in Antioch. And it said after they returned (coughs) from this trip, and they had taken John with them, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manum, who had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch. I love that. He was a childhood friend of this great Herod. Here he is succeeding and walking in the grace and power of God while his, his uh, playmate is in the ground, eaten by worms, because he chose another word and plan to follow. I think that's cool that God saved him. Praise the Lord for that. And Saul was there. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, He had a word of power for them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And so Barnabas and Saul go off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucid, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Samalus, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island of Cyprus until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was also an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. So he's like the leader. He's got a lot of power in that area. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul and became because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus... That's the sorcerer. I guess he's got a bunch of names, Bar-Jesus, Elimus, whatever. The sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them. And he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. He was speaking other words. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? He took care of business. He went straight to the source. Now the hand of the Lord, he says, is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching or the word of the Lord. He experienced it. He saw it. The word of power. The word of power. After Barnabas and Saul returned to Syrian Antioch, and there's two different Antiochs, 
from their mission that they had taken this money to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit chose them, it said, to spread Christ's story and his, his message to the Gentiles in the northern Mediterranean area. The Holy Spirit then, in prayer and in a time of worship, then spoke again to the prophets, the teachers, the leaders of the church of Antioch, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You know, how, how's he speaking? I just want to let people know again. They're probably not hearing an audible voice. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak that way, generally, no. They're discerning it and hearing it in their spirit, in their inner man, and it's loud, and it's just as loud as any audible voice. It might be a picture. They might have this word that comes to them. They, <coughs> uh, they obviously weren't dreaming, so they were praying and worshiping, but God was speaking to them, and they heard this word. God does that. I hope if you've not experienced that, ask the Lord to show you and speak that word to you. But you, like we were saying in worship here today, you've got to listen to hear that. You've got to stop and listen. And you've got to believe because he's there. Right? So you have to stop. You've got to listen. You have to believe. And where did God call these guys to preach the gospel? It says they were following him. Where, would they, where were they supposed to demonstrate his presence and establish the church? We've got a slide right here you can see. They started up in Antioch. Then they went down to Seleucia on the coast. Then they went down to Salome. Salom, you know, my mother was from Missouri. That's why I can't pronounce words. Okay, so I'm just sorry. And then they went down to Paphos down here. And that's where this big shindig started with this false prophet. Then they sailed up to Perga and they did some other things and then they came back around. That was their whole trip, but we're just in part of their trip right now and we're stopping in Paphos where this is happening. And you can see in this passage, as we read it, there's a clash of two different words and a clash of two different wills here happening. Don't you? You see the clash. And I want to I talk with you about something that you see Peter, or actually Paul, practicing. It's a type of prayer. It, obviously, he was led by the Holy Spirit, but these guys are praying as they're sharing the gospel with this proconsul. They're praying for him. I hope that when you share your faith, you're not only sharing your faith, but you're praying for the person you're sharing your faith to. But in the midst of them sharing, they've got this guy contradicting them. This guy trying to squash everything they have to say. And so, this witnessing time is not going forward. And you don't see the proconsul believing. Because he's constantly, Paul and Barnabas are saying one thing. Then you've got this other guy, this false prophet, saying something else. And it counteracts it. And so this man, Sergius Paulus, can't make up his mind. Let me tell you and suggest to you something. What Paul is practicing here. And it's something that, that has been around the church, and maybe you haven't recognized it. But there's a type of praying that he's doing, and it's called authoritative praying, or what some call downward praying. Have you ever heard the term downward praying? Raise your hand if you have. Do I have only one person? Okay, yeah? Downward praying. 
You can read about it in Magnificent Prayer. It's there. Watchman Nee writes about it, but others write about it. Andrew Murray writes about it. Uh, a lot of different spiritual leaders of the past write about it. The question is, do we practice it? Downward praying. It's different than upward praying. Do you know that? It's different. And so I'm relying on these old-time religious folks like Watchman Nee and others as I begin to talk about this. Authoritative prayer begins in heaven and it ends on earth. It's a word from heaven to your words that are coming up from earth. <coughs> so authoritative praying is praying from heaven to earth. So we all know what upward praying is. That's why I'm sharing my need. I'm sharing what I want God to do for me. I'm sharing what I hope. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sharing those things. But as I pray, I'm listening. And listening to the Holy Spirit. Because we are to pray in the Spirit, the Bible teaches. Not just pray in our own natural minds. We're to Take on the partnership and depend upon the Spirit, His leadership, because He's the one, according to Scripture, you just got to go through John to read what His ministry is. He's to convict us of sin. He's to take the teachings of Jesus and make them known to us. He's the one who shows us how to work out our salvation. He's the one who shows us and gives us gifts and gives us power to exercise those gifts. The Holy Spirit is a, a a person comes and throws his arm around you, comforts you. The Holy Spirit is a counselor who helps you work out your issues through trying to live out your faith. He's a teacher. He's a guide. That's who he is. So we've got to learn to pray in the Spirit. And, and these folks were being led by the word of the Spirit. So that as they're praying, they're listening for his word to come back to them. They're not just going, oh, God, look at this, this knucklehead over here. Elimus, I wish you would just strike him down dead like you did King Herod Antipas. But God, deal with him. And the Lord is probably saying finally to him, Paul, you do something. You're my administrator on earth. I've called you to lead. I've called you to follow me. You're my representative on this planet. And I'm going to tell you what my will is. And then you walk in it. And that's what he did. That's what the Spirit did. And so then, Paul began to pray downward. He began to pray authoritatively. He began to meet this spiritual warfare that he was facing in a downward position, which is extremely important. You don't win the spiritual battle from a bottom-up position. You... you you meet it from a top-down position. It's standing up in the heavenly places that, we, that we've been given in Christ. The Bible tells us that we've been raised with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the heavenly Father. You and I have been raised up there in Christ. We've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. We've been filled with God's Spirit. We are raised up. We are children of God, sons and daughters of God. We have a very wonderful and a very marvelous privileged position in Christ. We've been raised up. And we've been called to walk like him. So we are called at times, 
If we're going to resist the works of the devil, we have to do it by commanding that whatever God has said and whatever God has commanded must be done. That's why Paul looked straight at Elimus and said what he said. It wasn't in his own strength and power that he said it, but listen again to what he said. He said, he looked straight at him and he says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said this, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And we know he became blind. And it illustrated what the blindness that was already in him. He was a servant of darkness. He had no spiritual truth. His word had no real power and he needed to be exposed for what it was. And we have to speak to things like that. You want that mountain to move, you got to speak to that mountain. Amen? Because of what Jesus has said. I can think of all the words that God has given me, all his trump cards he's given me throughout my life, but if I did not walk in faith in those words and speak to my life and my reality and to my situation those words, I would have never realized them. Neither would you. Because the evil one would effectively neutralize you and keep you from accomplishing it. You would not be walking in the word of power. So I'm not suggesting that I'm, I'm supposed to come in because I'm such a great person of faith and look and speak to your spiritual warfare, your spiritual battle in my own name. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Do you see how effective human beings are against angels and spirits in the passage? You know, they barely blink and we go, <laughs> we're dead. You're not going to be successful against evil demonic influences on your own. But the Bible says greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we can have power in the name of Jesus. And if I rebuke the devil, he has to flee from me if I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I have power. I have the word of power. And I need to take that power. See, this is what Paul did in our passage as he prayed over the sorcerer. Man, I'm, I've gone a little ways, didn't I? Ha, ha, ha. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus, where do you want us to go with this? I want to ask you, where has your, your prayer life been? Do you find yourself only praying upward? If so, it's time to pray downward. It's time. Think about your present circumstances and needs. Instead of praying vaguely upward, try using the authority of Jesus. Listen to God's will for your matter. Listen to his word, his spirit, and pray downward. That's to be our normal attitude in prayer. I want you to hear what, what Lysus Trotter wrote, and it's up on our screen here. If we listen in the stillness till our hearts begin to respond to what he is thinking and feeling about the matter in question. If we spend time listening to the Lord and for the Lord, and what we're praying about, whether it concerns ourselves or others, when we hear it, his word to us, from that moment on, we can begin to pray downward from the throne instead of praying upward from ourselves. And that's where the power lies. Paul understood this and he exercised it. 
And because of it, his word went forward. He neutralized the spiritual attack. And it also shows us that Paulus, Sergio Paulus, saw the light. He believed because he was amazed by the teaching of the Lord. He was amazed at the victory that could come through the power of the word of the Lord. As we close this morning, the word of the Lord endures. It's got power to stand. It's got power to, to accomplish all it's, that's, it's been communicated for. And it's got power to do that forever. It's God's word to you. I want you to just look at these three scriptures alone. I've got them up on the board here. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That is a bold, huge statement. Is it true? If you can say it's true, then you're walking in faith. Because that's a huge statement. He's trying to tell you, I'm Lord of all. I really am. So trust me and follow me. 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's able to save you. If you've been saved, you're saved. Walk in it now. Enjoy. I mean, rejoice in it. Enjoy it. Walk in it. Because it's yours forever. And then finally, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. It will. It has the power to stand. I want you to stand with me. It has the, it's the only word that has the power to stand. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry that I let my, myself get away a little bit, but I'm so glad because the word of the Lord is the word of power. I want, you, I want you to pray with me as we seek his word. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you alone have the words of eternal life. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and your word to live within us. Father, help us to stop and to listen and receive your word of power today. Wherever we believe lies, wherever we've been beat up by the evil one, wherever we've been drugged down and we feel like we're being drowned or suffocated uh, because of the accuser, where we just don't feel uh, like we're worth anything or we are, we're defeated or we just have no power to change or to overcome, God, show us that those things are a lie because we're your sons and daughters. When we say, Dad, you say, here I am. You do not leave us, the Bible says, and nor do you forsake us. Give us ears and eyes and hearts and minds to understand and to hear your word to us. Give us the faith to trust you and your word, knowing that only your word is the words of eternal life. Only your word will stand forever. May your word come and make our life right, make our relationships right, and may we do whatever needed to repent or to get our life in line with your word to follow you and to do that not only as an individual believer, but in our family and in our church. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. 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 And before you leave today, I want